Hey friends, uh, my name is John Hand. I'm a part of the Welland location. And one of the hats that I wear in my day job is I'm a part of a leadership of a growing kind of network of churches and church leaders called Jesus Collective. Uh, we're kind of like a denomination, but not. Uh, when we say Jesus Collective, we, we believe that there's a bigger movement happening around the world where we say a Jesus-looking God is raising up a Jesus-looking people to change the world in Jesus kind of ways. And really that's the, uh, the hope uh, and what we see happening where the Holy Spirit is moving to awaken people to Jesus, to more of Jesus, to the relevancy of Jesus. And I can't think of anything more important that our world needs more than more of Jesus. So Jesus Collective, we, we network churches and leaders together kind of around a shared commitment of keeping Jesus at the center. And now I know that kind of, that sounds kind of simple uh, because it's like, yeah, isn't that what it means to be a church or isn't that what it means to be a Christian? And I want to say yes-ish, but the reality is that we drift. As individuals, as churches, we drift from living as if Jesus is always at the center. And so this uh, Jesus Collective helps resource and network and helps cheerlead people coming together around that commitment in our very complicated world, in our very polarized times, to keep Jesus central. And so check us out, jesuscollective.com. So enough about that. I want to transition us to what are we talking about today? And really, we're going to talk less about church and more about you. What does it mean for you to be a Jesus-centered person? What does that look like? And I think we need to start this conversation by maybe saying that we all center our lives on something or someone. We just can't help it. It's just who we are. So everyone has a center that they orient around. And in fact, if we're really honest with ourselves, we might say we have a couple centers. We have multiple centers that we're orienting around. And so what does it mean for us to have Jesus as the primary center? What does it look like when Jesus is the primary center? What do we think like when Jesus is the primary center? What motivates us when Jesus is the primary center? And I want to invite you to be really honest with yourself in our time together and to do some kind of deeper reflection. It's not always easy, but I know that you can do it. A friend of mine was uh, talking to me yesterday about a group experience that he had. He was a part of a group that was being facilitated by a leader, and that leader asked the group, are you more transformed by Jesus today than you were a year ago or the year before that? Are you more in love with Jesus? Are you more content with just Jesus? Are you less angry and less anxious and less worried and less discontented? Like, are you less concerned about your like security and comforts? Are you more other-centered? Are you more joy-filled today than you were a year ago? Really, am I more centered on Jesus than I was a year ago? Because whatever we are centered on is what we will eventually become like. And right now, you are centered on something or somebody. You just can't help it, and that's okay. So let's unpack what it means for us 
to be centered not on beliefs about Jesus and not on the teaching of Jesus, but on the person of Jesus, like the living being who is present to you right now, the living being who is loving you, who is conspiring for your liberation and your salvation right now. But I want to give us heads up. We're going to look at uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, so pin that. But first, I want to I root this conversation through the lens of identity. I think another way to approach this kind of what's at the center is by looking at what is our identity? What are we putting our identity in? Um, the conversation about identity is one of the most intense and divisive conversations happening right now in our broader culture. Like, this literally is one of the greatest aches of our cultural moment, one of the greatest pain points. And I'm not just talking about sexual identity or racial identity or gender identity or political. I am talking about all the sources of identity that we have where we look to find meaning and purpose and worth and validity and belonging as humans. So maybe you could define identity this way. The things that give our lives meaning, purpose, worth, and emotional validation in ways that make us similar and distinct from other people. Okay, so to add to it, we don't just have one identity, we have several identities. And, and identities can be our role. So I'm a husband, father, I'm a son, brother, and friend. Uh, it can be our sexuality, I'm heterosexual. It can be race and gender, I'm a white male. It can be our jobs. I specialize in leadership development and coaching. I've been a pastor. I've been a church planter. These have been identities that I have worn uh, in my life. And with identities, we, all, we always have kind of like a primary identity and a secondary identity. So a primary identity for me might be I'm a father. A secondary identity might be that I'm an avid outdoorsman. Right? So one of those is not as weighty as the other. So let's say I make my work one of my primary identities, okay? I'm a worker, I have ex-competencies, I have people who depend on me, I make money, I, I am known for my work. And if I put my work as my primary source of meaning, purpose, worth, value, and validity, what might happen? What do you think? Wait for it. Yes, you're right. I will become a workaholic. Like, I will bond in my identity with my work, and I will become my work. And uh, in that case, like, my work is my center. So work is good. It's holy. It's a gift from God. But when we bond with our work, when we become our work, it's called slavery. <laughs> and, and, like, I became a, I would become a slave to my work, and I would need a savior to come and rescue me from that primary identity, which is enslaving me. Okay? Are you catching this? Okay, another example. What about parenting? This one is close to home for me and my wife as well, because our kids are starting to get older, and they need us less. And so we have one in university, we have one who's getting ready to launch, we have a teenager at home who doesn't want to be with us like all hours of the day, I don't get it. And so what would happen if I made parenting my primary identity? 
Well, I might become a helicopter parent. Or I might have an identity crisis as the kids get older and they need me less. And I would think, who am I? And I, would, I might be lost and, and, and not know what to orient my life around any longer. Um, parenting, if parenting is my center, I will need my children and others to validate that I'm a good parent. And so, are you catching? Let's do one more. What happens if gender or sexuality become a primary identity, like a center? Well, as a straight white male, I might feel threatened by those who are not like me. Or I might make judgmental thoughts and comments, thinking I'm somehow more righteous or better than people who are not like me. What if somebody makes their sexuality their primary identity? Well, they might hypersexualize themselves and present a version of themselves that, that needs sexual attention from other people for their worth and their emotional validity. Do you see? What if I make sexual identity or sexual orientation a primary identity? Well, in that case, everything in my life might begin to revolve around that identity. And then we, we might have a strong need to be validated by everybody around us in that identity. Or we might feel victimized if we're not validated enough by other people. Do you see, like, this is one of the greatest, like, aches, the pain points of our time, because so many people are aching to have their identities validated by everybody else. And this is why it's so painful, is because we fail so miserably at doing this. Like, either we disagree in our culture about different people's identities or the importance of those identities, or if we wanted to validate all identities, we love so imperfectly. It leads to people feeling disappointed and chronically let down. So work, parenting, sexuality, these are good things, but they're not primary. You are not your work. You are not your parenting. You are not your sexuality. You're more than that. You're more than that. And so anytime we make a secondary identity, a primary identity, it necessitates that we have everybody around us, that we get all of our sense of meaning and purpose and value and belonging from others or from our kids or from our work or from money and it just puts us and those around us in a very stressful place because the kids grow up and the job, you know, they force you to retire and you'll never get everybody to validate your identity enough. And so when a secondary identity becomes a primary identity, identity, that primary identity can turn into a prison. I'll say it again. When a secondary identity becomes a primary identity, it can turn that primary identity into a prison. And it's, it's demanding too much from us and too much from others. So do you see why this like primary identity space is such a place of like exhaustion and tension for our culture in this moment? And so I want, I want you to reflect for a second. You know, what might be some secondary identities in your life? that tend to drift over time to become central to your primary sense of identity? What might be some secondary identities that drift 
over time in your life to become center and primary identities? What, what might it be? I'm not accusing you. I'm asking you. Money, politics, being right, being righteous, uh, being competent, being straight, being gay. Like these are important, but they can't be primary. They're not big enough to, to hold all of who you are ultimately. So maybe to this point, you're like, John, thanks for the pep talk. This is so uplifting. And I know I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news or depressing. I'm actually here to bring good news. There is good news. We are good news people. There's gospel here. And the good news is that Jesus invites us into the utter relief and the liberation of living with him at the center, making him our primary identity, of our primary source of meaning and purpose and worth and value and emotional validity. And I think this is good news. I think actually this is great news. And I think this is actually good news for our culture, for where we find ourselves. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's one of the first leaders of the Jesus movement in the first century. He wrote a letter to the early Christians in Galatia, a Roman province, which is like now modern day Turkey. And he was inviting them to live with Jesus as their primary center. And if you read the letter, you would find that they have similar problems to us. They were making secondary identities their primary identity, their primary center. And in this case, they were making their religious identity their primary identity. And it was suffocating their souls. And it was creating polarization and division in their community. And so I want to land and zero in on Galatians 2, verse 20, where Paul says in a, in a very, say, vulnerable and tender way. Like, this is somebody who's a leader. He has a stack of, like, high-status identities himself. And this is what Paul says of himself. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You can almost feel like the tenderness, the vulnerability that he's expressing this with. And he's saying that the biggest truth of his self-concept is that he has been crucified with Christ and he no longer lives. And if we stopped there, it sounds like really morbid, like he just falls over dead or what? But he goes on and he says, but Christ lives in me. So when Jesus is the center, it decenters us. When Jesus is the center, it decenters us. It decenters all of the other centers, all of the other identities that Jesus, then the person becomes your primary sense of meaning, your primary sense of purpose, your primary place for worth and value and validity. And it doesn't mean that the other identities aren't important or that they don't matter. They're just not primary compared to having Jesus at the center. That's all. So there's one thing that I hope you walk away with today. One thing, which is Jesus is the center, so you don't have to be. Jesus is the center, so you don't have to be. 
When you go back to the passage, you see that his self-concept, his person, is no longer living separate from Jesus. Sometimes I think we have this sense in our culture that we, um, we are somehow separate from other people and we are somehow separate from Jesus. Like we are here and other people are over there and Jesus implicitly then is, is over there somewhere. And I think like in all of this, say, era of being expressive as individuals, of self-actualization, of nurturing the self and developing ourselves and being our true selves, all of the messages that we hear, they paint the picture that we are separate. And I don't think it's true, actually. And Paul's not, Paul is saying it's not true. And, and so if I'm having to, over here, define myself, distinguish myself, I'm having to become myself, separate from you and separate from Christ, then I live with this sense at times of like a lonely ache. Like, why are we lonely at times? Or you ever feel like in your faith expression that you need to do more to get yourself, which is over here, over to Jesus, which is somehow over there, and that we have to make ourselves, prove ourselves, push ourselves, when what Paul is saying is Jesus isn't over there. He's right here. In fact, he's in you. He's in you. And when we place Jesus at the center, it decenters us. This should provide a lot of relief for us. Can you exhale with me? <sighs> that you don't have to be the center. And what if the truest reality of your, of your life right now is that Christ is living in you and that you are most alive in Christ? So if you're feeling, you're feeling anxious and, uh, you know, feeling overwhelmed, what is most true of you? That Christ lives in you and you are most alive in Christ. If you're feeling jealous of somebody else's life, then what is most true of you? That Christ lives in you and you are most alive in Christ. And I, I invite you to try this as a spiritual practice in your life. When you're feeling unnoticed and misunderstood, what's the most true of you? Christ lives in you, and you are most alive in Christ. When you're feeling insecure, unnoticed, uh, not good enough, when you're being judgy, right, and you think you're superior to other people, Christ lives in you, and you are most alive in Christ. Declare this to yourself because this is the most true and unchanging thing about you. Christ is living in you and you are most alive in Christ. And, and I invite you to remind yourself at any point who you are, where you are, whose you are, as a spiritual practice to name and declare Christ is living in me and I am most alive in Christ. This, I think, is powerful because it names what is unchanging about you in a world where everything around you feels like it's like shifting sand. And, and this is good news, that you don't need to get people to notice you. You don't need to get the approval of other people. You don't need to be a workaholic. You don't need to be the world's most perfect parent. Hallelujah. Um, you, you, you don't need to have other people validate your identity. You are not your bank account. You're not your job performance. You're not your grades. 
Why? Because Christ lives in you. Jesus is already at the center. And you don't have to be. You are crucified. You are united with Christ. Um, The vivid spiritual writer, Brennan Manning, uh, he said dramatically, he said this, God seeks more than an intimate relationship with us. The reckless, raging fury of Yahweh culminates in a symbiotic fusion, a union so substantive that the Apostle Paul would write Galatians 2.20. I think this can change you. I think it can transform you. I think it can heal you, maybe even right now. It's that powerful. Is that true? And so in this journey, you know, it's helpful for us to engage in spiritual practices that make these realities more vivid to us. And they're designed to help us see with greater clarity what is it that we are putting at the center on any given day. And so here's a spiritual practice to try that's similar to the one before, but with a twist. If you woke up in the morning and you spent five to 10 minutes before you leave your house and before you go to school and you said out loud your primary identity, Christ lives in me and I'm most alive in Christ, or I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. If you said it, if you prayed it, if you wrote it, if you sang it, if you meditated on it, this And then go into your day and then ask yourself in the guts of your day. Ask yourself, if Christ lives in me, then what is true of me in this situation? And so when you're tempted to be cowardly, you are courage because Christ lives in you. Or when you're tempted to be judgy and you need to be right, then Christ lives in you and you can be mercy. You can have mercy because Christ has given you mercy and he is mercy. When you feel inadequate, you can go to Christ to find worth and strength because Christ lives in you. That's the most true reality of you. When you feel alone and misunderstood and attacked, you can have peace because Christ lives in you and you're not what others think of you. Do you see what a Jesus-centered person does? They train themselves to see Jesus in them and around them and above them and through them, more and more Jesus. Now, I want to finish with an example in my life. A few years ago, I faced a situation that was incredibly painful. I I experienced a betrayal by a group of people that I trusted. There was whisper campaigns and rumors spread about me. And the rejection, the sting of that was very hard. Like, it was disorienting. I doubted myself for months. Um, I was just, I, I thought what I thought was true, turns out is not true. And in that season, I began to practice this spiritual practice of asking myself, what is true of me in this situation? And in this, uh, I asked Jesus one day, Can you just, like, remind me and tell me what is true of me in this situation? And clearly then I've heard in a long time to that point, I heard Jesus say to me, they can't reject you. They can't reject you. You're not rejectable. The only person with the real power to reject you is me, Jesus, and he's not going to do it. And so 
something shifted in me that day. Something began to heal. They can't reject me. They can gossip about me. They can spread rumors about me, but they can't reject me. They don't have the power to do that because Christ lives in me and I'm most alive in Christ. You're not your failures. You're not what others think of you. You're not your successes. You are crucified with Christ and he lives in you. Can we finish with the words written in part on the breastplate of St. Patrick that just ground us like in this practice of Christ everywhere? And would you stand, if you're watching this together, would you stand and can we say these words out loud? Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ to my right, Christ to my left, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone who sees me, Christ in the ear of everyone who hears me. Amen? It is so, may it be so. Go in peace.